This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. It's page, um, found on page 812 of your pew Bibles. And again, that's Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck? that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, and turn to attack you. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We receive it with gratitude. And we ask that you would come and illuminate our hearts and make yourself known through your word. God, would you give us grace as we hear from your scripture this morning, that our hearts would be transformed, that our minds would be renewed, God, that our affections would be changed, God, our will would be strengthened. God, would you give a spirit of revelation upon your word this morning? God, we wanna be fully pleasing to you in every work. God, bearing fruits of righteousness in every place in accordance with your name and your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount. We're just gonna go uh, right in. I'm gonna give a quick review since we've been out of it for a couple weeks. Uh, If you've got the notes, we'll, we'll just dive right in. Letter A, the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been walking through for the last several months together as a family, is the most expansive or concise teaching of Jesus on the role of a believer in partnership with God's grace in seeing maturity, seeing our growth in godliness. Jesus lays out for us this clear teaching of our our endeavor to partner with his grace to see transformation to pursue a life that's built around obedience to these words, these teachings, is to build a life, Jesus will say at the end of the sermon, that is built on sure and sturdy foundations, ones that won't be shaken in times of testing or in times of trouble. So when the winds come and the rains beat down on the house and things are shaking, a life that is built on obedience to the teachings of Jesus outlined here will be one that is embedded into the rock that is Christ. Letter B, Jesus invites his followers to intentionally order our lives around these teachings. 
So it's not enough Jesus tells us in this to simply hear these words or even just accept them or give some sort of credence to them or mental assent to them. We are commanded to respond to them in a spirit of obedience by intentionally pursuing cooperation with God's grace, responding to his teachings in our lives. So the sermon begins, uh, as we're familiar with them, with these eight beatitudes. You could call these the value system of God's kingdom. These beatitudes are invitations to come into and respond to and hold to things that are truly great or truly beautiful or truly good in the economy of God. Letter D, another way to think about values is to think about the ideas of satisfaction or fulfillment, meaning what's the good life? Every single one of us, every culture, every society, every kingdom in all human history has a portrait of what it tells people will provide them ultimate wholeness, satisfaction, fulfillment, joy. And the kingdom of God is no different. Jesus teaches us and invites us by his grace to inhabit a world where we look at what he defines as good and whole and lasting and providing true and ultimate joy. What you may or, not, may or may not know about yourself is that every single one of us is hardwired in the deepest places of who we are to orient our lives toward what we think will provide us ultimate satisfaction. And Jesus knows this, right? Jesus created you. Jesus knows how you're knit together and he knows that you will orient your life toward the thing that you see as providing you ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction, and wholeness, right? And we all know this intrinsically, whether we're uh, oftentimes and intentional to uh, excavate these things, but if you think money will provide you ultimate satisfaction, you orient your life around obtaining it, getting more of it, saving it in certain ways, positioning yourself, using your strengths to go after that, right? If you think comfort or some sort of um, indulgence is what will provide you satisfaction, you will orient your pursuits to attain that. Jesus comes along and he says, hey people, this is how you were created. Here, you you want the good life? You want fulfillment, you want wholeness, here is what it looks like. And he gives us the eight Beatitudes. He then turns and develops how do we pursue these things, right? You might go, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna bank my life on you, but how do I orient myself toward those things? And he tells us what we're to pursue in our life by highlighting several sins that we're to actively resist he says, these are, these are thorns that will grow up and keep you from experiencing the fullness of life in me. Watch for these things. And he outlines six sins that beset us that we're to actively resist. And then he gives us these means of grace that we're to run after and lay hold of and pursue in partnership with his grace. Where we left off in uh, at, the, at the end of chapter six, letter F, Jesus summarizes this 
teaching by saying and exhorting them to seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's in Matthew 6, 33. To seek first his kingdom is to set our hearts to pursue the things that are valuable to God and order our lives around these things in accordance with them. Right? So Jesus summarizes that teaching. He comes along and he says, okay, do you want true satisfaction? Do you want true blessedness? Do you want true wholeness? Here's what it means. Here's what it looks like. This is how you order your life. And then he comes along and he says, do these things in partnership with my grace. Resist these sins. Pursue these means of grace. And do it with the first intention of your soul. That's where we left at the end of chapter six. So what this does, Jesus as the great um, understander of human condition, he begins to outline the effects that this is going to have in your relationships. So if you buy in to what Jesus is saying, if you say, uh, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm in. I'm, I'm going to order my life around what you call valuable and good and wise and true. I'm going to use my, my, my life to try to position myself in accordance with what you say is lasting and firm and true. It is going to begin to mess with your relationships. Jesus knows this. And so he immediately goes from seek first these things to highlighting two particular ways that this will begin to affect your relationships in walking forward. One uh, is something to be wary of in ourself, and one is something to understand in relation to others. So Jesus understands that walking in wholehearted obedience to his commandments and his teachings will create a lot of new relational dynamics in the life, lives of his followers. This presumes something, right? It, it presumes that we don't walk this out in isolation, right? The, the beautiful thing about Jesus' call is he doesn't call us and then go, okay, now go run off into the wilderness and stay by yourself forever, right? He has us still do this right in the midst of messy you and me, right? And he's going to give us help here. This is what this section is about in the Sermon on the Mount. The following section outlines two tensions that often arise as Christians seek to embrace a life intentionally ordered around God's values. The first tension is the temptation that every single one of us has towards possessing a spirit of judgment or a critical spirit. As we pursue God's ways, we are, attempted, or, uh, we are tempted to operate in a critical spirit of judgment toward others. Now, this is pervasive. This is in every person's heart. This is uh, something that we all know. And as we walk through it, I think we're going to be really like, um, everybody's going to feel like Jesus is pointing the finger at them, right? Every single one of us. This is latent in each of us, and Jesus understands that as we run after uh, 
wholehearted devotion to him, pursuing his ways, we will be tempted to begin to evaluate others with a critical spirit. And he wants us to be on guard for that. The second temptation or the second tension is the potential of our relationship with others that are not um, interested in, receptive of, open to the things that we are passionate about, the things that we desire. As we pursue God's ways, Jesus acknowledges the real potentials that others will judge us or relate to us in in a hostile manner as we pursue things close to God's heart. So in each of these realities, Jesus gives us simple instructions of how to navigate these relationships in order to continue to carry our hearts before him with obedience. This takes a lot of work. We have to walk this out patiently. It's costly, but Jesus is really tender with us here. And he gives us real specific, real simple. Now, because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. That's the, that's the hard thing sometimes. Just because something is simple to comprehend doesn't mean that it's easy to do. Jesus gives us really simple instructions here. Letter D, one of the most difficult realities of sustaining a faithful, wholehearted pursuit of Jesus through our lives is navigating difficult relational dynamics that arise in the midst of that. Some of you aren't old enough to realize this. Some of you are right in the middle of it. And some of you would look back at me and go, well, yeah, that's easy. One of the hardest realities of staying the course over the long haul before the Lord with wholeheartedness, with a zealous pursuit is relational tension that happens. How do we navigate it? What do we do in the middle of it? How do we hold our own hearts Jesus is really aware of this and he wants us to know on the front end that he's aware of it and where this is gonna come up. Okay, look at the top of page two. So Jesus begins with this statement, judge not, that you be not judged. Now, I think this may be in the running for the most well-known verse in the whole Bible. People might know John 3.16, but maybe even like 20 years ago, that would have been in the running. I think that might be less now. Like you don't see those guys at the football games anymore with John 3.16 holding it up. Um, Everybody knows this verse, right? Everybody can quote this verse like it's nobody's business. Very fast, judge not, lest lest you be judged. I also would like to offer that it is the most misunderstood and most misquoted verse in common uh, how we hold it together in the Bible. Many times our contemporary understanding, this verse is used to promote a false sense that Christians are never to evaluate anyone or anything in any manner. You know, judgment just means to evaluate something. That's what to judge means. When we judge something, we're just evaluating something on some scale, right? So we judge a meal uh, based on some scale that we have of how good is it? Did we enjoy how it looked? Did we enjoy the flavors? Did we enjoy the textures, how things played together, right? We're evaluating all the time. People like to take this verse and go, Jesus is teaching disciples 
to never evaluate anything at any time. And that's not what he's saying. Okay, that is not what he is saying. That is a false sense of what this verse means. The common sentiment of no judgment is pervasive throughout our world. In a highly individualistic world, this commandment becomes the proof text for justifying life decisions that cannot be called into question by anybody, right? So when do people use this verse? When I wanna make decisions that I wanna make with no accountability, with no sense of shame, right? Like I know it's wrong to do this, but I'm, I, I wanna cast off the restraint of shame related to it. So I'm gonna go, hey, don't ju- who are you to judge me? You can't judge me. Don't judge me, right? Christians aren't supposed to be judges. That's how it gets used in our moment. And that is a highly individualistic, highly misunderstanding sense of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not telling his followers to never evaluate things or never make assessments of things. In this verse, Jesus is not attempting to give a commandment for his disciples to never practice evaluation or never practice discernment as it pertains to what is right and wrong in the world. Even, I don't know how this is gonna hit you, even at times in relation to other people, right? Throughout scripture, we're given commands specifically to evaluate or judge other individuals, behavior and teachings in accordance with God's word. So what we have to do here, right? If this is misquoted, how do we make sense of what Jesus is saying? Well, we let scripture interpret scripture, right? Scripture doesn't contradict itself. Scripture gives light to itself. So we have to understand other places that God has spoken about this and give understanding to what this commandment means. Here's a couple places that I I know that I know that I know that Jesus is not telling his followers, don't ever be discerning or don't ever make a judgment about something. Four verses later, five verses later, read this. Don't give dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Well, how do you know a dog and a pig? Right? You have to make an evaluation. You have to go, you have to have a sense of standard of what categorizes that reality. Jesus tells you to make a decision based on a judgment. So is Jesus being absurd here? Is he contradicting himself three sentences later? The answer is no, right? So Jesus means something else here. Later in Matthew 7, Jesus commands us to evaluate or watch out for false teachers and not follow in their ways. Look at Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets. Well, how do I know if somebody's a false prophet if I can never evaluate anything? How do I know? Well, Jesus actually tells me. They come in sheep's clothing, inwardly they're ravenous wolves. How do I know them? You will recognize them by their fruit. He's telling you to evaluate them. Evaluate something. Actually have a standard of doctrine and true teaching by which you evaluate things. So Jesus is inviting his disciples to 
be discerning and make evaluations there. Paul just comes straight out the gate in 1 Corinthians 5. He tells Christians to flee from sexual immorality. Well, how do I know something is sexually immoral if I don't make a judgment about it? If I don't evaluate something as sexually immoral, how do I know that it is? He tells you to flee from it. And then he goes beyond that and he says, don't have fellowship with a believer that claims they are, but lives in a spirit of persistent rebellion and unrepentance. Read 1 Corinthians 5. Now I'm writing, do not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with them. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Okay, so scripture interprets scripture. So what is Jesus getting at here? So Jesus' command, we have to assume, is not to, this command is not, uh, not us never evaluating or discerning anything. We have to let it be shaped by the rest of the context in order to rightly understand what he's teaching. Look at letter E. Jesus is not commanding his disciples to never practice discernment, never practice evaluation, or never assess like what type of person they long to be, what's right and wrong, what behaviors should or should not be done. Rather, Jesus is calling his disciples to be critical of their own propensity for operating towards others in a distorted, critical spirit. Okay, that's, that's the sentence that I want you to get. What is Jesus getting at when he says, don't judge, lest you be judged? He is saying, every single one of you I have a propensity to evaluate and judge others based on a critical spirit of judgmentalism. Watch out for that. Okay, and I'm gonna get to how Jesus does that. He demonstrates this by uh, two, two further extrapolations of this commandment related to the measure of our judgment and the example towards hypocrisy in our judgment. So look at Roman numeral four. We have two propensities in our judgment. I'll just read this uh, for us. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? So what Jesus does is he comes on and he explains his commandment not to judge by highlighting two sinful propensities that every one of us has in it as we walk out discernment and evaluation and judgment. Jesus understands that there is a destructive nature to these propensities and desires that his followers operate in a different spirit as it relates to walking in their relationships. Hey, I just want to highlight this. this is, these are things that we all struggle with. We all struggle with, and I want us to be aware of this. This is why it matters. This reality will completely destroy a community from inside. This, this really, really matters. I, there's a reason why it's in this teaching, and this, I, I have like a sobriety in my heart 
related to us receiving and asking God to make us the kind of people that are obedient to this. Because this is destructive. And it is pervasive in our moment. I would say this is one of the um, telltale signs of what you could call the spirit of our age. A way of assessing one another that gets in and by its very nature is critical and destructive. It is pervasive in our world. And we have to be on our guard against it. We have to see what Jesus says about it and ask him to orient us in a different way. Okay, look at the top of page three. So the first propensity in our hearts is to evaluate others with a different measure or a standard than we want to be evaluated with. So Jesus declares a principle of really natural wisdom here. The moment we make an evaluation, we set up a standard by which we could be evaluated ourselves. Here's a really funny example. The Lord has a fun way of doing this to me when I'm getting ready to preach things. Friday afternoon, uh, oftentimes I go with my wife to pick up our kids from school. We drive in. It's a small little school off Holmes. There's not a lot of room in the parking lot, so when you turn left onto the road, at that time, sometimes there's a lot of traffic going and it matters that no one is sitting there blocking the entrance because if you start and you can't quite get in, then you're in this weird precarious spot. So I'm getting ready to turn left and the person in front of me really slowly like turns left in, kind of creeps in and I start getting like a little, little testy. Come on, what are you doing? Come on, move, move. I gotta get in here. What, I'm like getting ready to honk my horn, do all that nine. And uh, I'm getting really, really like frustrated at this person, right? I'm making a deal out of it. We go through, pick up our youngest, and then we have to go back through to pick up our older two in a different way, but the same entrance, right? So I go through, pick up our youngest, come back, turn right, turn back right in. And then I see Chris Stewart walking out. And I want to talk to Chris. So I stop. And I roll down the window and I start talking to Chris. And the person behind me honks their horn. And I lose my mind. <laughs> what in the world? Why are you making me move? I can't believe that you would be in such a rush to get through. And I'm literally like going on this. And Abby goes, Do you really not realize? Two seconds ago, you did the exact same thing. Are you kidding me? And literally in my mind, I'm going, oh my gosh, this Sunday, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about, right? But we all know this in really, that's a silly example, but we all know this in, in reality. Jesus is giving a principle of natural life. The minute I make an evaluation related to you, I set up a standard that I now have to live into, right? I now have to live into or I'm a hypocrite, right? And we love to deal with others on a standard we would never ever give to ourselves, right? I want you to rush through the line, but goodness gracious, if I want to sit and talk to my friend, you better be patient for me. 
And we do that all over the place. Jesus is saying, when you evaluate situations, use the measure you want used for you, right? You use a measure you would never want used for you is what he's getting at. Many of us walk through our lives completely unaware of the disparity and how we assess others and how we assess ourselves. By nature, we are way more exacting with others and way more gracious with ourselves. We all are. And you might have a little check in your mind. You might go, oh, I'm super exacting with myself and I'm really patient with others. I would like to offer to you that it's most likely that you've learned how to be patient with others outwardly. My guess is inwardly, you are pretty exacting of them as well. You're exacting of them internally and how you assess them and how you evaluate them. We all live this way. Jesus wants us to see that we will be judged with the same measuring stick that we judge others. We'll, we'll come back to this as our application. Let her see the second propensity in our hearts is closely tied to the first. Jesus highlights here our propensity to fixate on small areas of immaturity and shortcoming. Oftentimes, while we are unaware of major problems in our own life, our own soul. Jesus' teaching is that we're quick to notice the speck in our brother's eye. In other words, we're really quick to focus on small aspects that we deem are clouding their sight or their ability to act accordingly or all those things. It's often our propensity to relate to others based on small, seemingly insignificant aspects of their character that are immature or underdeveloped. And we're prone to distort these, magnify them, relate to people on the basis of them, how we interpret their motives, how we make sense of their actions. We're all quick to do this. It's important to note here, I, I want this to be very, very clear to us. Jesus is not talking about sin here. This is not sin. Jesus gives us a process to deal with sin. Jesus is not telling you, when you see a sin in your brother, don't deal with it. That's not what he's saying. Don't evaluate it. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, what do you do? Go to him. Tell him your sin, that sin. Bring that into the light. He is not asking you to sweep things under the rug or not deal with it. Jesus is talking about the places of like immaturity and underdeveloped-ness in us that we love to fixate on and relate to people on the basis of. Hey, that speck in your eye. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick at it. And Jesus goes, what you, what you need to be doing is working on that big old plank that's in yours. He invites us to be aware that oftentimes we are assessing others' shortcoming without first taking the time and effort to understand our own, the larger areas in our life that distort our ability to see and act within accordance with God's desire. These issues often include selfishness, pride, compromises that others may not be aware of, but distort our ability to see or evaluate correctly. Letter D, because of this, Jesus commands his disciples to first address the log in their own eye by his grace and then come to their brother related to the speck. 
This further establishes that Jesus is not calling his disciples to never practice discernment, never be assessing or never evaluate when you're in relationship with each other. Rather, we're called to, I want you to latch on to these three things. We're to pursue these things in a right spirit, in a right process, and in the right order. And what I mean by that is the right spirit we see all throughout the scripture when we go to our brother, particularly in areas of just discord, right? Like we're not seeing things eye to eye. There's something in our brother's eye that we want to address with them, right? We're all over the scripture invited to do that with a certain type of spirit, a disposition. And that's to be gentle, to walk with humility, to have patience with regards to our brother. I have a handful of scriptures for you to go look at there. So the right spirit. Are we walking with a spirit of gentleness, tenderness, patience, understanding? Are we going to our brother with with love and grace? Is grace the prevailing disposition of our lives? Or are we going and picking at that thing? That's, That's what Jesus is getting at. Number two, the right process includes seeking to gain all the information necessary to make a right evaluation. That's Proverbs 18. Hey, here's here's just a tip. This is a side note. Go read Proverbs 18 and ask God to help you live that way. It's this cautionary tale, right? When somebody talks, the first person to give their side of the story seems right. What it's enlisting you to is to be slow to evaluate, to get all the information or as much as you can, to not make judgments quickly, to be patient and slow to understand, right? Get as much that you can to make the right evaluation. And then Jesus invites us to go to our brothers privately. And I, that's a, that's a different sermon for a different day. But when we don't walk out the process that Jesus has given us to do these things, uh, we are not, um, we're not serving relationships. We're actually not even serving the truth. In our world, we have this prevailing idea that to just tell the truth in every single place is the best thing that I can do with my life. And Jesus says, do it in the right places, at the right time, in the right way, in the right order, okay? That's what Jesus wants here. The last is the right order. Seeks to ask God to bring light to areas of my life that are clouding my ability to evaluate before I seek to bring correction. Understanding my own great need and reception of mercy will dispose me toward mercy with my brother, right? Jesus wants us to see here that we need immense mercy, right? We've got logs. Every one of us is walking around with these big old planks in our eyes, thinking that we can do surgery on one another. And Jesus is going, hey, take all that energy that you think the problem is out there, take it first and orient it here in my grace and go, God, would you, would you heal me? Would you, would you restore my sight? Would you give me the ability to see and evaluate clearly in your grace? 
before we try to meddle with all that other stuff. That's what Jesus wants here. Okay, so that's the don't judge commandment. The second one, I'm not gonna spend very much time on it because I wanna talk about how do we overcome judgment. But essentially what Jesus is getting at with this kind of cryptic statement about not giving what's holy to the dogs or not casting your pearls before pigs, what he's saying is there are ways in which in your life you need to practice discernment as it relates to people who are unresponsive or unreceptive to the things that you, that God has called you to, right? And that's a hard thing for us. There are times when Jesus told his disciples to move on, right? When they were to go and share, they weren't to just force feed people again and again and again and again and again and again and again, right? There are times when people make themselves unreceptive and unresponsive, and we are to know in those moments, what you don't do in that is to keep offering it over and over and over and over again, because what it's going to do is create more damage in the relationship. What you do, there's all sorts of wisdom necessary of how to apply that. Ask God how to walk that out in relationships. Jesus does give us lots of things to do in those places though. Pray, bless, do good. Like there's all sorts of ways to still relate, but Jesus is talking about having a discernment about the things that you have held fast to that are holy in your life. There are times when you go, this relationship, I don't keep pushing that thing into it. And again, there's a lot of wisdom that's needed to walk that out. Okay, look at the top of page four. <clears throat> so this passage shows us that even in the community of Jesus's followers, there is a temptation towards a critical spirit or a spirit of judgment. Like I said earlier, the presence of this in a community operates like a spiritual cancer and has the power to destroy it from inside, right? This will destroy a marriage. This will destroy families. It will destroy spiritual families. This is closely re related to this idea that you could say of like contempt, right? A spirit of judgment and criticality towards one another. Our enemy is called the accuser of the brethren, right? Like that's just a tip off of what this kind of spirit will do in a community. We have to be on guard to watch for this at work among us. It speaks of a pervasive judgment of someone's motives or character that's not particularly situational in nature. What I mean is, this is not necessarily a sin, right? Like when we relate to people and they haven't sinned against us and we're just bugged by what they've done and we ascribe all this motive and sinister behavior behind it and we're judging and evaluating motives and things like that. In those places, we often know we're walking in this kind of spirit. Here's, here's some words to help you know that you're walking in this. Always, never, of course, right? When you relate to somebody and you go, they always, bop, 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 what is it? You're operating in this because I promise you they don't always do that. They never, da, da, da. They probably don't never do that. 
the eye rolling, of course. Of course they would do that. Everybody knows what that is, right? Y'all are looking at me like you've never experienced this. I'm just being inside. Of course they would do that. The eye roll. The proverbial eye roll is the embodiment of this spirit at work. Just so you know. This type of judgment is related to what we could call a spirit of accusation and deals with a brother or sister on the basis of one aspect of their character. We tend to magnify or heighten shortcomings while not assessing or acknowledging the grace of God in others' lives. So how do we, how do we walk against this? I wanna give you two broad categories. There's a lot of places we could go here, but I wanna give you two broad things of how do you overcome this in your life? Not just be aware of it, but how do you, by the grace of God, cultivate a different disposition in his heart? Number one, be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus uses this exact same image of the measure that you use. It'll be used back on you in specific relationship to what we listen to. Look at Mark 4. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. So what Jesus means is that our standard of evaluation is shaped by what we listen to, what we let shape how we evaluate things. It's really common sense, right? If you listen to a lot of things that are critical in their nature, you will be more critical. I promise you. That is the way we're made. As we listen to others' evaluations, our ways of making sense or meaning in the world, they're shaped and formed. Jesus wants us to be on guard about what kinds of things we let shape our evaluations. We have to be discerning in what we allow to shape the tone and the content of our judgments. Now push pause for a minute. Again, this is pervasive in our world. And I don't mean our world outside the church. This is pervasive in Christian circles. There is a spirit of judgmentalism that is dripping in how we relate to one another. There, I mean, you could line them up articles and podcasts and all these kind of realities that are training people in a critical, judgmental spirit. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. Don't just go because it's got the name Christian on it, that it is not susceptible to these things. Watch out. Be careful of what you give heed to, Jesus says. Because if you let that thing shape your measure of evaluation, that's what you will be evaluated with. That's how you will evaluate. Let me give you a couple questions to ask as you're listening to things, as you're reading things, as you're engaging things. Here's what you should ask. This podcast, this article, this book, this whatever, 
Is it pervasive in dealing with this issue in the right spirit? Right? Is there a spirit of gentleness, grace? Is there a spirit of mercy related to this? That's one question. Ask that question. Is this done in the right process? Meaning, are, who's being told? Do the people that are being told this reality, do they have any ability to bring redemptive good to this situation? Do they have ability to bring redemptive good to this situation? If not, it is outside the process that God has outlined for us. Because God is about reconciliation and restoration, not about uncovering people to show all of these things. Does this follow the right spirit, the right process, and does it embrace God's narrative over this situation? Ask those questions when you listen to things. Ask those questions when you read things. Ask those questions when you engage them. So that's number one. Be careful what you listen to. Number two is begin to ask God. Listen to God about what he says about something. You want better evaluation. You want better judgment. You want better discernment. I know where you can go. Who do you listen to? Listen to God's evaluation. One of the most powerful ways we combat a spirit of judgment in our dealings with others is embracing God's evaluation, both of ourselves and of others. We become aware of God's evaluation through time in his word, time in the place of prayer, and asking him for the heart, his heart for others. Hey, when was the last time someone that was bugging you, and I don't mean somebody out there, I mean somebody in this room, right? Somebody in this room, somebody in your home, when was the last time you began to ask the Lord for his evaluation of that person? God, what do you see when you look at them? I bet if you asked him, it would be really surprising to you. He'll talk to you about it. I promise you he'll talk to you about it. Saturated in the word, saturated in the place of prayer, Ask him how he sees the people in your life. Number three, we all desire that people would deal with us on the basis of love and grace. That's the measure we long for, right? You don't want the measure of judgment and criticality and exactingness. What measure do you want? I want love and grace, right? Like I want mercy triumphs over judgment. I want a God who says he delights in mercy. I want that evaluation. I want love and grace and tenderness. I'm not asking you to deal, not, not ever talk to me about shortcomings. I want it to be done with tenderness and grace though. That's what I want. And so I want to embody and inhabit that spirit over others. God's evaluation system is drastically different than ours. And we have to labor to understand his evaluation or his narrative of grace for others in our lives. Let me just read two statements to you and then we'll, we'll bring it to a close. God thinks about things really different than we do. Hey, go read 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when 
Samuel goes to anoint David. He comes in and he sees this tall, handsome, strapping young man. And he goes, the king is before me. And God goes, no, 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 no. I don't see like people do. I don't look at things the way that you do. I have a different evaluation mechanism than you do. Come and get mine, God would say. You want to hear a couple places where God has a different evaluation mechanism than you and me? Look at 1 Kings 15. This is breathed out by the Holy Spirit, nonetheless. This is how God evaluates something. This is literally the Spirit of God inspiring his evaluation of these men in in the Scripture. 1 Kings 15. David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything he commanded all the days of his life. Have you ever read the life of David? Anybody? What kind of evaluation is that? That's God speaking about David. Okay, go to Romans 4. Without becoming weak in faith, this is Abraham, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Again, have you ever read Abraham's story? Okay, we all chuckle because we know these guys were messes, just like you and me, right? Just like we were, just like we are. Two steps forward, one and three quarters steps back, right? All the time. And God tells the trumpet blast of narrative over their lives going, they didn't waver. They walked with me in faithfulness. They did all that I commanded them. These were men who were after my heart. That was God's narrative over them, right? God doesn't evaluate things like we do. He evaluates them on the basis of grace and mercy. And if you are in Christ Jesus, he evaluates you on the basis of Christ's righteousness, And Christ's righteousness alone, you have standing before God because he suffered and died and paid the debt for your sin. That now if you are in him, if you look to him by faith, he accepts you as though you were his own son. He brings you in and he says, there's no condemnation, no shame, no guilt. I've washed it all away. So how much more should we relate to one another on the basis of God's evaluation than on the basis of ours? Especially for brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to look at you and take up the voice of my enemy, the accuser of the brethren. I want to take up the voice of my Father in heaven that looks at you in Christ Jesus and says, my son, my daughter, my bride, my cherished one, the one that I paid my very life to purchase, accepted in me. That is how I want us to relate to one another. And so even as we respond and we come to the table, we're going to glory in the reality of Christ's gift for us. And I want to ask God this morning to begin to highlight the places in our lives where we are quick to operate in a spirit of criticality, 
judgmentalism. Again, this doesn't mean we're soft with sin or we don't deal with sin. We don't uh, walk out restoration and reconciliation together. We just do it in the right spirit, in the right process, in the right way, under the blood of Jesus. Okay? Would you all stand with me? We're going to respond this morning the way we do through song, through prayer. We have ministers in the room that would love to pray with you, pray for you. If you want to respond and ask God to meet you and move in your life. And we're going to respond by coming to the communion table together. And this table is open to any and all who looked to Jesus uh, and Jesus alone for their righteousness, who receive by faith the reality that Jesus lived the life you couldn't and died your, the death you deserved so that in him you might have life forever. If you believe that, you're a Christian and you're welcome to come and receive this meal with us. The way we take uh, communion here at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off, dip it into the cup. We'll have wine in the stoneware, juice in the glassware, uh, servers up front, in the middle, in the balconies, and uh, a gluten-free station to my right, to your, to your left. If you're in this room and you don't put your faith in Jesus, we want to ask that you not come and take this meal with us. This meal is a meal that points to a reality. So if you don't have the substance, which is faith in Jesus, the meal doesn't accomplish anything for you. Uh, this meal is just like crummy bread and cheap wine. But for those who believe in Jesus, he nourishes us by faith in his own presence as we remember his sacrificial death and his life forevermore. So I'm gonna pray for us. Servers, you're welcome to come forward now and uh, we'll respond in those ways. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that he alone provides the the way for us to receive mercy, to receive grace. God, this morning, as we hear this word about not operating in a spirit of judgment, God, would you come and first and foremost, would you wash us afresh with the mercy that we have been granted in Christ Jesus? For every person in this room who calls upon his name, I ask that there would be a, a fresh uh, awareness of our acceptance in the beloved because of his grace and his grace alone. God, and would you begin to change the ways that we see and evaluate, not on the basis of our fleshly understanding, but on the basis of your grace and your mercy in Christ Jesus. God, would you move in our midst this morning would you compel our hearts to respond in a spirit of obedience? God, we love you. We delight in you. We ask, would you come and feed us now by faith, nourish us with true food and true wine? Yourself and life everlasting. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.